Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you. It's encouraging to have you with us. If you will, we open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. In just a moment, uh, we'll begin by looking at a passage there by way of introduction and then making our way to Matthew, the 25th chapter, which will be our text tonight. Uh, we're thankful for uh, Doug Perry and what he does in leading Foundation once a year. It's Sundays in October each year. And we want to remind all of our high school students that this is a wonderful opportunity to participate in. Uh, several participated today. That will continue each Sunday in October, so be sure and keep that in mind. Also keep in mind the work day. That will be Saturday. That will give all of us an opportunity to be a part of it and uh, be marking that on your calendar and making your plans to be a part of that. Also remember tonight uh, will be the fellowship meal to welcome uh, JP and Betsy, and we are glad that they are here. Uh, what a wonderful opportunity God has given us uh, to have them working with us, and we're thankful for that opportunity. There was a couple that were 85 years old. They've been married over 60 years, and they always took care of themselves, good health, exercise, made sure they ate the right things. And one day they had a car crash. They died instantly, and as it would be in the stories, Peter welcomes them at the pearly gates. And so Peter begins to show them into this mansion, and he shows them this kitchen that would be any woman's dream kitchen. And then around to a bedroom, the master suite was bigger than their house on earth and jacuzzi tub. And, and as they're looking at all of this luxury living, the gentleman says, Peter, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I know you're showing us this, and it does look appealing, but what does something like this cost? I don't think we can afford this. He said, hey, it's heaven. It's free. They look at each other and say, wow. That's neat. He says, hey, let's go out. I want to show you the golf course. You're sitting right on the golf course. Goes out and shows him a golf course like he has never seen. And he's told that every few days it just rotates itself into another golf course that, again, is like you've never seen. And, and he says, hey, this is great, but I don't think I could afford to be a member of this club. He says, no, you don't understand. This is heaven. It's free. He says, hey, come on, it's time to eat. Let's go down to the... To the clubhouse and they go down the clubhouse and there's just lines and lines of buffet bars and it's the best food you've ever seen and any food you could ever want and they look at it he says what would it cost to eat here he says that's just it it's heaven you can afford all this it's heaven it's free he says As a matter of fact you can eat every meal here and you can just come back over and over and over he says well what about the low cholesterol table and and what about the low fat bar where's all that Peter says, that's just it. It's heaven. You'll never get fat. You'll never grow old. You'll never die. You can eat all you want. And oh man, he takes his hat and he throws it down. He stumps on it and, and he starts shaking in anger and his, his face is flush. And, and Peter and the, the wife say, calm down, calm down. What's wrong? And he looks at her and he says, if it wouldn't have been for your exercising and your bran muffins, we could have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to go to heaven right now? You know, there's a lot of faithful Christians that struggle with that last one. I don't know if I want to go right now. I do want to go. Trust God. If you could, you'd want to go right now. That's how good heaven is. I love to think and to study about heaven because it reminds us of what we're living for today. It reminds us of the blessing that we have for eternity. It also reminds us and strengthens us to get through things on this earth that aren't always easy. 
You know, as a minister, I've stood just to the side of the head of the casket and the family's only a arm's reach away. And oftentimes that family is sitting there having a few days ago never expected to be where they are today. A few days ago they never dreamt that their heart could ache the way it aches today. What could be said of comfort? You know, no one can walk up to that family and say, Hey, million dollar sweepstakes, you'll be better now. No. Your dream house, it's a gift, you'll be better now. No. That great, uh, that great reward, that great promotion that you've always wanted, it's yours, you're better now. No. How many times have we said as faithful Christians, I don't see how people get through this that aren't children of God. That's what 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, is about. Do you notice, says, you look there in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 13. He says, I do not want you, it would be around 1,049 in your pew Bibles. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You see, he's not saying that there won't be sorrow. He says, I don't want you to sorrow as those who have no hope. And then he speaks about in 14, the resurrected Lord. And if the Lord is resurrected, then we're going to have a great resurrection. And he speaks about those that die in the Lord will be raised first and then others will be called up. This is primarily a passage that gives us a glimpse into the second coming and how even those that died before Jesus' coming are not going to be robbed of any benefit. The truth is they're going to have the first priority. But in this passage, we get one phrase that gives us a glimpse into heaven and then a closing comment. Verse 17 is two sentences long. I'm going to read both of them, but notice the second sentence because that gives us a glimpse of heaven. In 17, he starts out by saying, Then we who are alive and remain should be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Here's your glimpse of heaven. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's the best part of heaven. To be in the presence of the Lord forever. The psalmist said, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What are these words worth? Notice the closing comment. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What can be said? There's the hope of heaven. To live in the presence of the Lord forever. The Lord says, those are words and facts of comfort. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that enemy, that last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. We feel it. It hurts. Oh, sting. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And then in 57 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There really is a blessing 
transcends this earth. A blessing that once we step over as a child of God into the other side surpasses anything that we could imagine. We sometimes study the topic of heaven from many passages. Tonight, I'd like for you to go with me to Matthew, the 25th chapter, and I'd like for us to look at a passage that Jesus taught. And you remember our Sunday morning series? You remember when we had things laid out about the night before His death? Of that same week on Tuesday, that same week on Tuesday, Jesus went into the temple. And He talked to those in the temple. On the way out of the temple, the comment was made about how great the stones of the temple was. And Jesus said there wouldn't be one left on top of the other. But yet, you could destroy it and He could build it back in three days. Later in private, the disciples began to ask Him, what did you mean about that being built back? And so in a private setting, Jesus in Matthew, the 24th chapter, tells them about the destruction of Jerusalem and the signs of the end of time. And then we come over into the 25th chapter, still the same setting. Don't let the chapter breaks fool you there. Still in the same setting, Jesus says, coming out of talking about the end of the time, He says, let me tell you about five women that were wise and five women that were foolish. They were all ten waiting on the bridegroom. They all took their lamps Five that were foolish didn't take extra oil. Now what if the bridegroom was delayed and he was delayed? And five that were wise were asked by the foolish ones, can we borrow oil from you? And they were told, no. They were not prepared when the bridegroom came. They were shut out. They knocked on the door and there was no answer. And the teaching seems to resound from that is... We must watch. We must be prepared, even if it takes longer than what we think for the end of time or the end of our life to come. But note this. We can't borrow our faith to stand ready on the day of judgment. We can't look around to a friend or to a parent or to a grandparent that that seems to have their life together. They seem to be faithful. And on the day of judgment, look over to them and say, Can I borrow some faith from you? I've got to stand before the Lord. Let me borrow something from you. No, we must each develop our own faith. As much as we love this church family at Mount Juliet, we're not going to stand as a group on the day of judgment together and answer as one congregation. Your physical family is not going to stand and answer as one family. Friends, each of us will stand individually and we will give an account for our relationship with God. And so Jesus teaches a powerful lesson to say, you, individually, be ready. And then coming right out of that, he just immediately tells another story. We don't see any breaks in this. He tells another story and he says, let me tell you about how to be ready for that day. There was a man that that was leaving on a trip and he gave his servants one five talents, one two talent, and one one talent. The one talent, you say, he didn't receive very much. Yes, he did. That would have been equivalent to the common man's salary of 20 years. This man was given such a huge responsibility, his fright paralyzed him, and he went and he buried the talent. You remember the five talent and the two talent. The five talents, man's, his uh, uh, stewardship, the material uh, gifts that were placed in his possession as a steward, equaled a hundred years salary. The two talent, 40 years salary. They took theirs and they used them for the master's kingdom. And when we returned, they were able to give back more than what was given. And there we see that they dealt in a responsible fashion, even though it felt risky. 
And this one, when the master returned, he was able to go and dig up the one talent and return it. And the Lord said to him on that great day that he was a wicked and slothful servant and that he'd be cast into outer darkness where there'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The message, God gives you and I abilities. He gives us opportunities. And the question is, are we willing to risk anything for the kingdom? When's the last time you and I sacrificed so much that we risk comfort for the sake of the kingdom? When's the last time we knew that there was a need in the work of the church and we didn't step up because we were timid, because we were afraid to risk for the kingdom? There are many ways that are very common that we can risk for the kingdom. So again, without a break, Jesus tells another story. He tells the story about the day of judgment. And there were some that their service that they rendered was feeding those that were hungry, giving drink to those that were thirsty, clothed to those that were naked, visited prisons and took in strangers. And Jesus even said, you did it to me. And those people said, Lord, we haven't done that to you. And they, Jesus said, when you've done that to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. And you know the rest of that story where there were others that did not do it to the least. And Jesus said, you did not do it to me. Do you see how Jesus is just sitting down and he's talking with them? There's going to be an end of time. Be like the five virgins that were prepared. They, they developed their faith. They were ready to stand before the Lord be like the, the servants that things were placed in their hands and they were responsible. They, they invested, they risked for the kingdom's sake. Their life was ingrained in the kingdom. But don't look for the high and mighty things. Look even to those that society would call low and serve them for in serving them, you've served me. But in all of this, in the next few minutes, I want us to concentrate on four verses and how he describes, hopefully, us in one phrase. Look with me, if you will, to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Let's read 31 through 34 together. I'd like for you to especially notice that phrase in 34, how he refers to us. In Matthew 25, 31, please try to picture this as, as it's revealed to us in scripture when the son of man comes in his glory can you imagine one day walking out and looking up and you're hearing a trumpet sound that's being heard across the universe and can you imagine seeing Jesus coming in a cloud and notice how he describes it here when the son of man comes in his glory I don't know exactly what it's going to look like for Jesus to be in his glory, but we know that it's going to be a glory that we have never seen with our eyes before. And all the holy angels with him, not a few, not just a few legions of angels, this is going to be all the holy angels with him then he will sit on his throne of his glory. You remember Isaiah the sixth chapter, how there in Isaiah's vision that the throne was high and lifted up many steps. It was high and exalted and the robe of the king filled the whole room and smoke filled the room and seraphims were singing and, and shouting praise to God. Can you imagine what this setting is going to be? 
as we look up and we see Jesus. But when we look around, notice what we're going to see in 32. All the nations will be gathered before Him. Everybody that's ever lived, everybody that's living, and everybody that will live in the future. All nations. From Adam to the baby that had just been born, all nations will be gathered before Him. And He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, the goats on the left, and then the king will say to those on His right hand, Notice how he describes those. Notice how he addresses those. To those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He said, you blessed of my Father. There's something different about the people on the right than those on the left. They're going to receive a blessing of the Father that those on the left have not received. They already on this earth have received blessings from the Father that those on the left have not received. Tonight, one of the questions that must pierce my soul, it must move me into action as I ask the question, am I one of the ones that the Lord would say, you're blessed of my Father? You've heard the the expressions, you can't draw water from a dry well or or you can't give lunch from an empty lunch box. Can God offer us heaven? Yes, we can be blessed of the Father because He is the blessed Father. Ephesians 1 and 3, we studied that a couple of weeks ago. 1 Peter, the first chapter, in verse 1, 2, and 3, He's called blessed of the Father. He is the one who created He is the one who has prepared a heaven and all spiritual blessings. And friends, He has it at His disposal to give. He gives all of these gifts to those who are blessed of the Father. In this passage, there are at least four things that we see that are blessings that those who are blessed of the Father. The first thing that we see is that those who are blessed of the Father are on the right side. If you would, be turning to Colossians, the third chapter. I'd like to read a verse there in just a moment, Colossians, the third chapter. And you say, now, wait a minute. Maybe you say, I have no doubt that there's a lot of blessings in being blessed of the Father, but I don't understand how being on the right side is a blessing of the Father. This day is an awards day. The right hand has always been a place of prominence. It's always been a part of reward. As a matter of fact, we read of Jesus being in the presence of God at least 12 times in the New Testament. And you know where we read Him being each time? He's always on the right-hand side of God. Sometimes standing, sometimes sitting, but always on the right-hand side of God. On that great and final day, there's going to be a day of reward. You remember when Paul said he was ready to be offered in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter? And you remember one reason why he was ready. He had no problems with passing away. The truth was he wasn't just going to pass away. He was going to give his life. He was a martyr. And so he was willing to give his life because he knew that there was a crown waiting for him. In other words, he knew that there was a reward. 
Friends, whatever this reward is to be placed on the right side is worthy of our life and it's worthy of our death. As a matter of fact, in Colossians, in Colossians the third chapter, beginning about verse 22, Paul is speaking to bond servants. Now think about this. Here's a bond servant that's a faithful Christian. Here is a master that may not be a Christian at all. Now the question is, should this bond servant obey this master? What if this master is mistreating the bond servant? Wouldn't they have justification to disobey the master? And Christ's covenant, he writes and says, no. He encourages him to obey the master and serve the master. And you say, how can that be fair? Notice where the payment is going to be made in 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. We don't interact with others for what we have to gain on earth. As faithful Christians, we interact with others based on what we have to gain for eternity. You may have a neighbor that gets on your last nerve. Now the question I have to ask myself is, do I deal with that neighbor for who they are or because of who my God is? It makes all the difference. If I'm going to deal with that neighbor based upon who they are, I can't expect to be in the place of reward on the day of judgment. I may have an enemy that stabbed me in the back. Now the question is, am I going to stab them in the back? Someone says, I couldn't turn the other cheek. Yes, we could turn the other cheek if we turn the other cheek because of who our God is instead of who our enemy is. Someone says, why would I want to do that? Paul did everything he did so that he could be found on the right-hand side. What reward has been the most important award that you've ever received? What is it that that when it was called out and you received it, you just wanted to live that moment forever? It felt so good. You know, some of you may have received an award in third grade. You say, I still remember that feeling. I want to take your mind probably something that has never happened to any of us here. I want to take your mind to the Olympics where a lot of the time boys and girls at seven or eight years old begin training. And oftentimes by the time they're 11 or 12 year old, they are leaving their home, sometime living in another nation and sometime across the country to live with a coach visiting parents or family only occasionally throughout the year. They get up in the morning at different hours from everybody else they know that's their age. They eat differently. They train differently. Everything in their life is different. And many of these young people do this for eight or ten years. And when you and I enjoy flipping on the TV and watching that Olympic event, We enjoy those few seconds or those few minutes. But when they get on that platform and a gold medal is hung around their neck, how many of them have dry eyes? Very few. Because they have given their life to be placed in that position on that podium. That platform. Can you imagine that feeling? it pales compared to judgment day it doesn't get close 
however you could value the feeling of a gold medal would not even be worth a thimble of emotion and fulfillment. On that final day, hear the Lord say your name and ask you to move to the right side. What a reward. We live our life every day for that movement. But notice also as we go back to our text, we also see that the blessed are separated from the wicked. Look again at at verse 32. All nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. There's going to be a great day of separation. Now, someone says, well, why is that such a great reward to us? Well, who are we going to be separated from? In Revelation, the 21st chapter, Revelation, the 21st chapter, we get a glimpse of who we're going to be separated from if we're part of the blessed. In verse 8, he says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Skipping down to verse 27, we read, But there shall by no means enter it anything, now this is talking about heaven, nothing is going to enter into heaven that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, when we read early in the Bible and we see Sodom and Gomorrah and we see a city that was so wicked that when God's messengers went in, they had to be hid in a house and they tried to beat the door down so that they could rape the men. We're not going to be with those people. When we see Herod that's so wicked, he would have babies killed. Two years old and under. Can you imagine the mourning and the grief that went through Jerusalem? Can you imagine going through the cemeteries and seeing just grave after grave after grave? We're not going to be with them. Can you imagine, because of that separation, no parent will worry about their children being out. No husband will worry about the safety of his wife. No murder, no child abuse, no lies, no security, no locks, no law enforcement, no juries, no judges. Can you imagine being separated from every wicked act? in person. Can you imagine the feeling of peace and joy and happiness? Which brings us to the next point, and that is, if there is a separation from that that is wicked, there also is a joining with those that are righteous. In the very next verse, he talked about Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come ye blessed. And so there's going to be a joining of all of those who are on the right. They're going to be welcomed. Who are they? Maybe it's Barnabas. Can you imagine standing beside Barnabas on the day of judgment and hearing him say, Good job, good job. Just encouraging you right along. 
Can you imagine being next door neighbors with Aquila and Priscilla and, and all that warm, loving hospitality that, that they just continually dished out on earth? They'll probably just make heaven a better place. King David had a heart like God's heart. Or we could even name individuals of this congregation. Many of us could name family members. We shall meet again. In that reunion. How awesome it's going to be to have everybody that's ever lived for the Lord. And they died with the Lord. All together. But also we see here in Matthew 25 that the blessed are blessed because they're invited home. They're invited to inherit. In John the 14th chapter, Jesus said that He was going to prepare a place for us. Then He said He'd come again and take us there. You remember in Philippians, the first chapter, Paul said that he knew it would be a gain to go ahead and die now, but to stay would be beneficial to them. Any of you that have children, I'd like for you to think back to before your first child was born. If you've had like three or more, this illustration won't work for the latter ones. You've got to go back to the first one. You remember the preparation that you made at your house for the first one? Remember how that when that baby was born, you made sure that when that baby came home, that baby had just the right color nursery. The bumper pads matched the curtains and the little mobile things were exactly where they needed to be so the baby could see them perfectly while they were napping. You remember how the closet had all the things in it that you thought that baby needed? You remember how love filled that house and how you wouldn't have given up that child for anything? And you remember how at the hospital you held that child and you couldn't wait to take your baby home? Those that are blessed, they're God's children that He can't wait to take home. He's prepared it. He's got a place reserved. He loves us. And He just wants us to be where we belong. But unlike our baby at the hospital he won't force us to go home with him we have to make that decision tonight have you made it words can't describe what it will mean to us to be a part of the blessed of the father eternity eternity will be ours with God. 
Let that sink in for just a moment and then we'll extend the invitation. Eternity will be our ours with God. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Romans teaches us. Do you realize you and I are going to have the opportunity to not only answer before Jesus, but we're going to be in His presence. We're actually going to have the opportunity to look Him in the eye and tell Him thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for all the ways you blessed my life that I understood on earth and now I see all the many other ways you blessed my life that I didn't understand on earth, but now I understand. Probably some of the things on this earth that we think were the hardest and cruelest things, we'll probably find ourselves thanking God for that on the other side because we'll see how it all worked. The gold streets, the pearly gates, the walls made of expensive jewels. That's nothing compared to being in the presence of God. It's so easy for us to live on this earth and start loving the earth and start living for the earth and focusing on the earth. Tonight's just a reminder. Philippians 3 Our citizenship is in heaven. We're just here for a little while. Let's focus on God. Let's live for eternity. Let's make sure that we leave here tonight knowing that we'll be a part of the blessed of the Father by His grace and His goodness and by our love and our submission. If you've never been baptized into Christ or if you have but yet you've strayed from Him, Won't you come to him tonight as we stand, as we sing?